A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed, You who are Jews, indeed all of you staying in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to my words. You who are children of Israel, hear these words. Jesus the Nazarene was a man commended to you by God with mighty deeds, wonders, and signs, which God worked through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the set plan and foreknowledge of God, you killed, using lawless men to crucify him. But God raised him up, releasing, releasing him from the thrones, throes of death, because it was impossible for him to be held by it. What David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me. With him at my right hand, I shall not be disturbed. Therefore my heart has been glad and my tongue has exalted. My flesh too will dwell in hope because you will not abandon my soul to the netherworld, nor will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. My brothers, one can confidently say to you about the patriarch David that he died and was buried, and his tomb is in our midst to this day. But since he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants upon his throne, he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that neither was he abandoned to the netherworld, nor did his flesh see corruption. God raised this Jesus. Of this we are all witnesses. Exalted at the right hand of God, he poured forth the promise of the Holy Spirit that he received from the Father, as you both see and hear. Verbum Domine.
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went away quickly from the tomb, fearful yet overjoyed, and ran to announce the news to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them on their way and greeted them. They approached, embraced his feet, and did him homage. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had happened. The chief priests assembled with the elders and took counsel. Then they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him while we were asleep. And if this gets to the ears of the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. The soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has circulated among the Jews to the present day. A couple of years ago, in Father Pascal's homily for Easter Sunday, he talked about motives of credibility. And these motives occur when different bits of testimony and evidence seem to converge upon a particular claim or statement, thus lending great, greater credibility to the truthfulness of the statement. One of the TV shows that I have enjoyed watching over the years is Judge Judy. And during her show, she acts as an arbitrator for real small claims court cases. And she makes decisions that are binding. And she's known for her quick-witted remarks and her no-nonsense approach to her cases. And in order to make a decision, she must read the statements and listen to the testimony of both the plaintiff and the defendant, look at the evidence they present, listen to any witnesses, and determine for herself what is true and which party is legally liable for a particular claim. And whenever the story from either side, the plaintiff or the defendant, does not agree, Judge Judy will determine which side is true based on the evidence presented and common sense. And that's where a lot of the entertainment value often comes in to the picture with the show. It's her job to look strictly at the facts of the case, apart from any hearsay or 
either of the parties' personal interpretations or elaborations of the events. Now, when it comes to believing in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, one could take a similar approach. You know, first we have to acknowledge our own current situation. There is not a single person alive today who was present at the resurrection, nor have we heard for ourselves the testimony of the apostles or the women who were at the tomb. Second, I'm willing to bet that our resurrected Lord himself has not appeared to a majority of people living on earth today, thus personally confirming the veracity of the resurrection. You know, private revelations certainly do happen. There's, there's accounts of that. But there are not many people who claim that the resurrected Christ has appeared to them in the flesh. Hence, if we are to believe in the resurrection, it would have to be solely based on the testimony of on the testimony and evidence that is presented to us from scripture, tradition, magisterial teaching, and our own rational, critical, common sense thinking. When a person assents to the truthfulness of the resurrection, this does not necessarily mean that it has been absolutely proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, but that he or she is compelled or moved, you know, motives of credibility, is compelled or moved towards faith by the propensity of evidence. In other words, there is too much evidence and convincing testimony that cannot easily be ignored or explained away. First, it's important to note that the magisterium teaches that the scriptures are free from error when it comes to teaching the truth that comes from God. The Catechism, paragraph 107 says, the inspired books teach the truth. Since therefore all that the inspired authors or sacred writers affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the Holy Spirit, we must acknowledge that the books of scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error, teach that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, wished to see confided to the sacred scriptures. Now this paragraph from the Catechism should be sufficient for those who already have faith. You know, we believers take for granted the fact that sacred scripture is without error. However, for those who have not given the assent of faith, they're going to need more explanation. And while this is not an exhaustive list of all the evidence for the resurrection, there are a number of facts that converge upon this truth. The first bit of evidence is, of course, the empty tomb. Now, an empty tomb in itself does not prove the resurrection. You know, we have to ask ourselves, are there other possible explanations for an empty tomb? Well, as we heard in the gospel account today, a story circulated among the Jews that the disciples of Jesus came and stole the body of Jesus. So, okay, that's a possible explanation. 
And we should commend Matthew, the evangelist, for including this in his account. It actually lends greater, greater credibility to him as an author, that he didn't leave this out. So if we assume for a moment that this claim is true, that the disciples of Jesus took away the body of Jesus, this raises a number of questions. You know, the first is, what did they do with the body? You would figure that someone would have eventually seen a group of disciples with the body somewhere. You know, they, they didn't have vehicles back then. They didn't have vans. You couldn't just put it in the back of a van and, you know, take it away. No one would be able to know what's there. You know, just imagine this group of disciples trying to drag this body away. You know, where would they, how would they have done this? Where would they have taken it? You know, all of these practical considerations come into play as well. <clears throat> and it also would have had to involve a conspiracy among the disciples. It couldn't have just been one disciple doing it. There had to have been this collaboration among all the disciples. But there's no recorded evidence or testimony of anyone being seen with the body of Jesus. I mean, that's astonishing in itself. Second, the soldiers standing guard at the tomb would have been in deep trouble if they had fallen asleep on the job. And this is why the chief priest assured the guards that they would get the guards out of trouble with the governor. And third, how plausible would it be for the soldiers to remain asleep the entire time while the disciples roll this enormous stone away from the tomb? You know, I would assume that with all of this bustle of activity and the stone would probably make a lot of noise, you know, eventually one of the guards would have woken up at some point. So it's just not plausible to listen to this explanation. It just doesn't make sense. It's, the common sense does not enter into the picture with this. Now the next bit of evidence is eyewitness testimony. And the first people to see Jesus after rising from the dead was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. They testify to seeing Jesus in the flesh, so to speak. Now, if we were to think with the mind of Judge Judy, we wouldn't take their testimony by itself. And if we look at the way that the apostles reacted to the news from Mary Magdalene, they also did not immediately take her word for it. Peter and John ran to the tomb themselves to verify the testimony of the women regarding the empty tomb. When they see the burial cloth and the shroud folded neatly and placed inside the tomb, this is yet another piece of evidence that seems to contradict the story that the disciples took Jesus' body from the tomb. You know, who would come and steal a body from a tomb that was guarded by soldiers and yet take the time to neatly fold the cloths and place them in the tomb before taking the body out of the tomb. That doesn't make any sense. And even after the apostles learn of the empty tomb and hear the testimony of the women, they still do not believe. Jesus himself had to appear to them before they finally believed. And he even upbraids them for their lack of faith. 
in the testimony of the women. And Thomas, who was not there when Jesus appeared to the apostles, refuses to believe until he can see and touch Jesus himself. So even with all the other apostles who had seen the resurrected Christ, even Thomas himself did not believe their testimony. So we're not talking about a bunch of gullible people to whom the resurrected Jesus has appeared. This shows that there is no eagerness on the part of the apostles to simply fabricate a story about Jesus rising from the dead and appearing to them. Now, one could argue that Jesus did not actually appear to the apostles and that they're just making this up, this story up, in order to fool others. So if we take this argument to be true, then we have to look at the actions of the apostles and see if their behavior is consistent. First, what would be their motive for making up the story of the resurrection? Would it be for financial reasons or for to gain power or personal pleasure? Well, all of the apostles ended up suffering severe persecution and even martyrdom for their testimony. They did not gain for themselves political power, nor did they enjoy great riches. In fact, the early Christians shared everything that they had in common with each other. So the question becomes, who in their right minds would be willing to give their lives for something that they knew was a lie? You know, perhaps one or two of them might be crazy enough to die without admitting that something was a lie, but 11 out of the 12 apostles, if we include Matthias, suffered martyrdom for their witness. And the 12th apostle, John, suffered greatly for it. Now, I could go on and on. There's a lot more evidence that can be considered, but there's not enough time to cover it all in one homily. So as we continue through this season of Easter, this is something that we can keep in the back of our minds. You know, as we're reading about the Acts of the Apostles, about their words and their actions and so forth, are their words and actions consistent with the truth of the resurrection? You know, another thing that we could mention is about St. Peter himself. You know, he went from someone who was terrified of dying with Christ, he denied Christ three times at his crucifixion at his trial, and then he goes all of a sudden to become this bold preacher of the faith and ends up dying for the faith. That doesn't make any sense. You know, someone doesn't go from being a terrified person to then boldly proclaiming the truth of the resurrection. And this time of Easter will hopefully serve as a time of renewal for all of us and a renewed appreciation for the testimony and witness of the earliest Christians. The laying down of their lives in order to bear witness to their testimony was really an act of charity. It was an act of charity for all of those Christians who would come after them. They could have renounced their faith in order to secure their earthly lives. Yet they made the ultimate sacrifice so that others might come to believe. 
Greater love has no man than that he lay down his life for his friends. And it is upon such a great cloud of witnesses that our faith in the resurrection of Christ rests secure. 